Welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Andrew Sancton, a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Western Ontario. He specializes in governance issues for Ontario municipalities. So we're coming up on the end of the first year of the Ford government's second term, and it's been a highly consequential year if you work in one of Ontario's 444 municipalities. At times, it's felt like there was an announcement every week about some change to how cities conduct oversight or run their own planning processes. And then we got last week's announcement that Peel region is over. The Ontario government is dissolving the region on New Year's Day 2025. So what comes next and why is this happening? That is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. It's called Bill 112, the Hazel McCallion Act, and it will turn the three municipalities in Peel Region into three independent municipalities, Mississauga, Brampton, and Caledon. On the surface, this kind of makes sense. Mississauga is Canada's sixth biggest city, and Brampton is the ninth. The only cities in Ontario that are bigger are Toronto and Ottawa, and since those cities stand on their own, maybe it makes sense for Mississauga and Brampton to do the same. On the other hand, interfering with Ontario cities has seemed to be the Ford government's raison d'etre. Its very first act back in 2018 was to change the composition of Toronto City Council right in the middle of an election. After that, they tried to amalgamate public health units, they tried to pull some funding from municipalities mid-year in their first budget, they changed conservation authorities, and then they changed them again, and then they appointed two special advisors to review regional governments. Does that sound familiar? Indeed, the media release for the Hazel McCallion Act provided some advance notice that an other review of Ontario's regional governments is coming, which begs the question... Government really the problem when it comes to creating more housing? Housing is supposedly the reason for a lot of these changes. The idea that government red tape is getting in the way of more housing starts. More government equals more red tape. And if that's true, then getting rid of government should make it easier to get houses built. This has been the theoretical basis for a lot of what the provincial government's done in the last year, and they've managed to weather just about all controversy in the process. But let's stop for a minute. Is this tangled web of municipal governments in Ontario really the source of all our housing troubles? We're going to look at that question with the assistance of Professor Sancton's extensive expertise on this episode of the Guelph Politicast. We're going to talk about the history of municipal governance in Ontario, how we ended up with regional governments in some places, and why amalgamation is still a sore spot in many places around the province. We will also talk about how government rules might actually be in the way of creating more housing, whether or not the solution might be to give cities more autonomy, and why maybe the time has come for some cities to be given independence from their regional governments. And finally, we will discuss the conundrum of single-tiered municipalities, comparisons between this progressive conservative government to past ones, and what the Ford government might do next. So I caught up with Andrew Sancton earlier this week via zoom okay andrew sancton thank you so much for joining me today a pleasure to be here adam uh first and I, I was thinking about this as kind of like a way to get us into the conversation um i mean i haven't covered politics forever you know uh you, you've probably been keeping an eye on things longer than i have but 
I can't seem to recall a government kind of be like a provincial government kind of being this active in terms of rewriting the rules of municipal governance and then writing some new rules. Am, am I onto something here? Uh, yeah, I think you're sort of on the right track. It depends what kind of rules you're talking about. Um, I think it's fair to say that the current government is uh, probably been more interventionist in uh, local planning issues, uh, you know, changing the rules about conservation authorities and stuff like that. So I guess you could call it more granular uh, things. Uh, some people have said, though, you know, uh, Doug Ford is acting like the mayor of the GTA. And, um, you know, there's some truth to that. But um, I lived through uh, the Harris government uh, as a professor of municipal government at Western. And that was the time when the greatest changes took place. Um, Harris wasn't so interested in all these granular little issues about, uh, you know, building more houses and stuff. Uh, but he literally changed uh, the map, uh, especially mm -hmm. in Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, but also in uh um, Hamilton, uh, Ottawa, Sudbury, where he had the huge amalgamations, and then he sponsored or encouraged, uh, almost coerced municipalities all over the province into amalgamating. So the uh, the actual uh, uh, look of the municipal uh, boundaries uh, that was the time when most of the change happened. Right um, now that now that we're talking about this, is getting kind of the memories flowing, which which just the. Like the, the the mission was kind of the same, right? Which was like to re to reduce government red tape, and then that was in the release last week about the uh, dissolution of peels. Like we're going to get rid of all this red tape. We're going to get rid of duplication and all this. And you know, I think anyone who remembers the Harris administration probably remembers the same thing. Um, the goals seem to be different. The Harris administration was about like getting rid of red tape for its own sake. The Ford government is saying we need to get rid of red tape for the express purpose of tackling the housing crisis uh yeah i think that's a fair assessment it wasn't in the harris government's case it wasn't just uh uh getting rid of red tape although that uh, was it uh, they highlighted the fact that it obvious if you're uh, if, if you uh, create one municipal government when there used to be three or four you're going to save a huge amount of money mm -hmm. um you have fewer councillors, fewer caos uh, fewer fire chiefs um, so anybody could see that's going to save a lot of money. Um, that turned out not to be true. Um, I said it at the time. Other people said it at the time. Uh, and it was, if you look back on it, it was kind of a strange idea uh, that a conservative government, a pro-market government would say, well, I know what the solution to our problem is. We need a bigger government. Mm. Uh, so instead of having <laughs> four or five, uh, uh, you know, smaller municipal government, let's create one big one. And um, we'll have different, they didn't say this, but the implication was, uh, instead of having, um, you know, four fire chiefs, we'll have um, one fire chief, three deputy fire chiefs, uh, and a whole bunch of uh, management layers underneath that. And that's one of the reasons why it didn't, didn't save money. Uh, the other being that um, you tended to level up uh, services to the highest level. And so... Uh, um, people got better services, maybe, but it also cost more money. Um, it's very significant what the uh, Ford government is doing uh, now with Peel Region, because um, 
you know, for a long time, people thought, oh, the inevitable result of this is it's going to be a city of Peel, just like Hamilton Wentworth was changed to a city of uh, Hamilton and Ottawa Carlson was changed to the city of Ottawa. It's going to be a city of Peel. Mm. Um, Mayor Crombie uh, in uh, Mississauga, Mississauga didn't want that. Hazel McCallion didn't want that. Um, they wanted to become uh, independent. Um, and uh, so uh, Ford has opted for the non-amalgamation uh, route. And right. um, I think that's very significant. It is true uh, that they getting rid of one government, the Peel government, um, uh, whether it'll save money or not is another question. Uh, but um, this was not an amalgamation solution to an alleged uh, municipal structure problem. And that is a big change for Ontario. Right, right, right. And would, it's, would it be safe to say that Peel could be like a unique case because you have Brampton and Mississauga, which are, I think, the third and fourth biggest cities in Ontario. So, you know, maybe it, maybe they have outgrown regional governments yeah, in these two yeah. places. Yeah. Well, they're already, uh, they've already been treated as a unique case because uh, uh, Ford has said what's going to happen. Uh, Peel region government, government's going to be uh, abolished. The details aren't clear. For all the other regions, and uh, there aren't that many of them uh, left, but uh, Niagara, uh, Waterloo, Durham, York, might be missing one, but anyway, Halton. those are the main ones. Halton, yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, for all the other ones, he says he's going to appoint facilitators to figure out uh, what to do in those uh, uh, regions. So the solution is not clear. But he did say, uh, the government has said uh, that the amalgamation, total amalgamation of those regions is not on the table. That's not going to be part of the terms of reference for these so-called facilitators. So uh, that's an indication that uh, sort of the precedent of the Peel thing is going to be uh, uh, fairly uh, important, e even if uh, the regional governments themselves aren't totally abolished. Andrew, refresh my memory. Did not the Ford government already review regional governments uh, already? Yes. Uh, you've got a good memory, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's quite remarkable, actually. Uh, just a few, very few years ago, uh, the former uh, former regional chair in Waterloo and a former deputy minister of municipal affairs uh, were appointed to be the regional uh, advisors uh, and figure to figure out what to do. Um, in my career as university professor, uh, I have I had a huge uh, shelf full of regional government studies from the 60s and 70s. Every time somebody said there should be a regional government, people were appointed to study it. And then the regional government was reviewed. And that was another uh, study. But all those studies were public. What the amazing thing about this study is these two uh, very accomplished uh, uh, people in municipal circles made their recommendations. And the government says, oh, no, we can't uh, publish that. That's advice to uh, the cabinet. And right. we don't have to make that uh, uh, public. So we, the public, paid for this. People participated in it because uh, there was an online survey and all this. And people went to public meetings. But nobody found out what uh, the government, uh, uh, what, what the report said. And I really find that scandalous. Uh, I got a freedom of information request in on this. It's been sitting there for a year and a half or so. Um, I know I'm not going to get the final report because of the cabinet uh, rules, uh, but I thought I might get some other uh, 
bit of background information as to what, what went on. But right. no, I haven't. Uh, that's not available. Um, I suspect uh, those two guys uh, recommended, in some cases at least, uh, total amalgamation. And um, I suspect the Ford government knew that that would be dangerous uh, mm-hmm. politically. And uh, and then maybe that's why they're going uh, the uh, opposite route now. Amalgamation is a sticky subject. And uh, down the road here from Guelph, Cambridge, uh, they're, mar- they're marking 50th, 50 years since Cambridge was amalgamated. But you can find people pretty easily in Cambridge who are still angry about it. 50 uh, years later. <laughs> yeah, I know some of those people. And uh, uh, absolutely. Um, you'll find people on the other side, uh, just to be fair, I don't want to be uh, all on one side. You'll find people sure. who say, oh, yeah, we were amalgamated in, in into Cambridge. But each area, Galt and Hespler and Preston, have sort of been able to keep their uh, identity. Uh, people know where Preston is. Mm. I'm sure that I do, but because um, uh, I don't, you know, because the map is not on most maps. Right. But uh, people in the area know, and um, so that's true of the of a lot of these amalgamations, especially in more uh, rural, spread out areas. Um, you still know where the little villages are. People still refer to them by their old name. Um, but uh, yeah, people in Cambridge were upset. That's why they would be, I think, even more upset if now uh, somebody came along and said. Oh, uh, we've got a regional government in Waterloo, and why don't we just amalgamate everything into uh, uh, Waterloo right. and uh, have the city of Waterloo for the whole thing? Uh, that would be pretty outrageous that that they'd gone through, uh, yeah, that kind of amalgamation. Yeah, they'd be inviting open rebellion in what kind yeah. of has been traditionally a, a bellwether area for the provincial government. Yeah, uh, yeah, I want to do kind of a bit of a, a deeper background here, because I think one of the things that interests me about governance in Ontario, municipal governance, is that you have some places that have regional governments, and you have some places that are single tier, like London and Guelph. Um, who decided that and when? Like, why, why, are, why, are, some, why are there some regional governments, and, and why isn't this kind of like a universal thing? Well, a very good question. There was a kind of universal system uh, from the beginning in Ontario, and it uh, it was modeled after the local government system in uh, Britain. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the idea was that you'd have uh, urban authorities and rural authorities, and you'd have two types of urban ones, cities and then towns and villages. And cities, because they were big, there was a sort of population threshold around 100,000 at one time anyway. Um, and they would be single tier. They would look after all the municipal business for their area. But the smaller urban places and the rural place, uh, rural areas that we know as mostly as townships, they would be part of a two-tier county uh, uh, system, like right. uh, Wellington County, uh, right. and Guelph and Middlesex County in London. The problem with that system is that cities outgrow their boundaries. And um, uh, sometimes you get fringe development on the outside of cities, which the cities don't like, and it's disruptive and and it's it's a problem. If the cities could constantly annex uh, urban areas that they needed, um, that would be all right, I guess. But um, uh, (laughs) often that caused problems in rural areas, too many controversies, 
So people had the bright idea in the 60s, particular, 1960s, that we should do away with that in the fastest growing areas and bring everybody into a two-tier um, uh, system, including the separated cities. And they could, um, uh, the regional governments could look after the big infrastructure issues, right. um, like water and wastewater and stuff, and, and the big regional planning issues. And then if you had this two-tier system like this, uh, you wouldn't have to worry about um, uh, constant annexations. And uh, But that didn't wouldn't work so well in a place like London, where uh, London was so much bigger than Middlesex County, and I suspect it's kind of similar in Guelph. Um, so those places did, didn't get put into the regional government system in the 60s and 70s. Some people thought, oh, eventually everywhere in Ontario, we're going to have it. Um, but it, establishing the regional governments turned out to be not particularly popular. Uh, everybody thought, oh, my taxes are going up because we've now got a regional government. Um, and at the same time, there were these lower, so-called lower tier amalgamations. That's when Cambridge was created at the same time the region of Waterloo uh, right. was created. So um, amalgamation and regional government went along together. That's interesting because I, th it, it does feel like a job that's half finished and maybe that, that was never the intent. It's like, the closer you get to the GTA, the more there's kind of these regional governments. Um, it, it just strikes me, though, that hearing you explain that, it does seem like a job half finished. And now we have these situations in our in our single tier municipalities where, again, a lot of the changes we're seeing are essentially under the idea that we have to get more housing done. In you know Guelph and Wellington, I'm sure it's the same in London and Middlesex. Our housing, our social housing, is managed by the county. We have an enormous impact. We have an enormous demand for housing in Guelph, social housing, but we don't control our own social housing. It's um, it, it's peculiar. Yeah. Um, explaining local government in Ontario is not an easy job uh, because <laughs> it does it does vary so much. There are so many different arrangements. Um, in London, I guess social housing is under the uh, it's the probably London and Middlesex social housing, but it's it's mostly London. In the ambulances, uh, first responders uh, are basically run by the county. Mm -hmm. um, so for all of for these uh, services that go beyond uh, the separated city, there does have to be a separate arrangement or different arrangements, and that varies from place to place. I mean, Windsor would be another example of a right. separated uh, uh, city. Uh, then you've got all kinds of other you said the job is half finished i mean we've got uh counties now um that are single tier because everybody's been amalgamated within the county prince edward county is an example of that right uh norfolk county is haldeman is um so uh you know as again somebody who's tried to teach people about ontario local government it would be nice if there was a, a single system you could describe but you almost have to go through the whole province piece by piece uh, to explaining the different arrangements. And then it's different again in Northern Ontario. Right. And this kind of gets into something I, I, I wish we had discussed last year where we had sort of like provincial and municipal elections back to back, but we have top down sort of mandates from the province. The province sets the course for the cities. And we hear this expression all the time. Cities are the creatures of the province. Yeah. Given all of these disparate changes in governance from, you know, wherever you are in the province, would it not make more sense to 
and this may be a, a rhetorical question, but would would it not make more sense to empower cities to kind of set, I guess, to have more control over themselves and not have to look to the province to initiate change? Uh, on some matters, uh, yes. Um, I don't have any uh, argument with that. We were talking about boundaries uh, right. before. Right. And uh, if you s- took the position that uh, uh, cities should have more uh, power and authority to manage their own affairs, would that mean uh, that they could annex uh, rural areas without uh, agreement of the people involved? Sure. If they couldn't, then you would be setting uh, setting up for uh, this fringe development outside the city boundaries and stuff. Um, a lot of the problems that uh, exist in uh, U.S. metropolitan areas, where there's sometimes hundreds of municipalities and they're all they all have considerable autonomy more than ours. Um, uh, the state really can't do anything because the state constitution says that municipalities are autonomous. Um, and, and so, I mean, it's a double, basically a double-edged uh, uh, sword. I'm right. suspicious of anybody who said, oh, we could solve all our problems by just giving cities more autonomy. They're much better equipped than the province. Um, if we had perfect boundaries that we're never going to change, right. uh, we'd be okay. Then that cities would be like provinces. The whole thing about, about municipalities is especially urban municipalities, they're set up to deal with urban areas and urban areas expand. And right. that's what we have to be able to take account of. And it's related to even to what Ford government's doing now, because but building more housing is about, it's at least partly about expanding outwards. I know there's a huge debate, a huge emphasis on intensification now, right. um, but we're not going to solve all the housing problems by intensification. Right, right, right. I think that that makes sense i think there are a couple of things um like number one is uh getting to that social services picture we're talking about and i i've seen this and our government here has tried to find a balance between the fact that wellington county manages social services but a lot of the problem is here in guelph but we do see that passing the buck occasionally. Well, we can't do X because social services, Wellington County, the city of Guelph doesn't have a housing department. It doesn't have a social services department, so on and so forth. Wellington County comes back. Their representatives come back and go like, well, hold on. We're doing everything the province mandates us to do. And so you kind of get caught in this, I guess, this kind of like legalese trap. You know, you know, the city doesn't have the the people power the infrastructure the setup to deal with new issues that arise technically it falls under the the jurisdiction of the county the county says well we're we're doing ontario works we're doing child care we're doing social housing that's what the province tells us to do and it feels like there's this gridlock and then that gets to the red tape that you know people like doug ford like to talk about and like to put the blame on when it comes to not solving the problems yeah um i think a lot of people in ontario don't realize that Ontario is really the only province in the country where social services are a municipal responsibility. Mm. Um, and that in sort of includes social housing. In Quebec, the uh, municipalities have to pay for some of the social housing. Um, and municipalities elsewhere have some role in providing land for social housing, but they don't actually uh, own it and pay for it. But there's nowhere else where 
the equivalent of Ontario Works uh, or child protection is, uh, is is covered at the local level. Um, so here's an example. We were talking about municipal autonomy just a second ago. Um, I actually think um, uh, we'd probably be better off if the province did take over all of uh, uh, this stuff, and then you wouldn't have uh, these jurisdictional issues. That maybe the only problem is Ontario is a very big province, right? Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Nova Scotia aren't. So maybe it works better in the smaller provinces. Um, but um, you know, there's a classic uh, argument in the study of urban politics about so- social services. Let's just say hypothetically that Guelph because it's a relatively well-off city, um, put a lot of money into social houses, social housing and uh, uh, income support and said, we're, we're going to be a really humane uh, city. We're going to do all this stuff because we have the autonomy to do it and we have the resources. What would happen? Mm. Guelph doesn't have uh, uh, customs or, or immigration uh, f- facilities. Mm. People who needed those services would flock to Guelph. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just makes sense. All of a sudden, Guelph would have more um, uh, people requiring these services. It's not because those people are evil or anything. They're just, they're doing, a, they're being rational. We're going to go where we can get better services. Right. So it's very hard for municipalities um, to be good at providing uh, what are called redistributive services, basically where you tax wealthier people to provide services for poorer people. You create demand by answering the demand. Yeah, yeah. And we all know, well, well, I mean, to extend the uh, analogy, if we had no immigration uh, borders in in Canada, we'd have people from around the world uh, coming. We already have a whole lot, which makes us a pretty good country, in my view. Um, (laughs) But um, uh, I don't think anybody would say, oh, uh, let's just throw the borders wide open. because there would be a problem. But that's what minis- the borders of municipalities are wide open. Right. I guess I'm looking at this and thinking to myself, um, you know, red tape's there for a reason. You know, our, our rules are kind of there for a reason. How much of this is a couple of, there's a couple of ways I want to look at this. Number one is how much of the rules as they are right now are kind of like preventing us from solving, like housing's the big thing again. But how much are is local governance getting in the way of housing? And then number two, if we're fiddling with the rules of local governance, how much time, effort, and energy is being expended at local governments rolling with those punches instead of trying to solve the problem that changing the rules are supposed to solve? Uh, <laughs> another, another tough question. Uh, there are some advantages in being uh, older like I am. Uh, you live through different eras. <laughs> And uh, I certainly remember the uh, when I first started studying this stuff in the 60s, uh, the big problem was, uh, much more so than even today, rapacious developers. Uh, they wanted to build things everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they didn't ca- and, and nobody seemed to care what um, uh, the people in the neighborhoods uh, thought about things. I'm thinking primarily about Toronto, but it's happened there. It's the same sure. uh, dynamic happened everywhere. And... Um, there was a great sort of revolution in a way, uh, not violent revolution in municipal thinking in the 60s, uh, where people said, well, hold on. Um, neighbors should be able to fight city hall. They should be able to preserve uh, uh, their neighborhoods. They should have opportunities for participation. It should be hard to change 
uh, zoning rules and official plans. And some of these things that we now call red tape mm. were once great victories um, on behalf of, of citizens, citizen participation, good land use uh, uh, planning. And so, um, uh, and you know, I'm sure you and everybody heard these arguments uh, before. When you hear about people uh, who live in a $2 million single family house close to downtown Toronto, and are saying, oh, uh, you can't change the uh, um, nature of our neighborhood. Um, uh, we, we've we've nurtured this and there's no opportunity for change. That's the housing problem in, mm. in many ways. And mm -hmm. uh, um, so, yes, we do have to get rid of some of this uh, red tape and everything. Um, but obviously, you have to do it in a in a, uh, a careful uh, way, and uh, and we do have to balance this intensification argument on the one hand against building and greenfield areas on the other. We probably need to do both. Mm -hmm. Is in your estimation, is the the Ford government being careful? And I guess you know you're you're talking about things that. Are ultimately going to have to be fought and won on the local level, right? Like I see this all the time at planning meetings here in Guelph. Uh, a proposal comes, somebody says, "I'm in favor of redevelopment and intensification, just not here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the classic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, yeah. you know, it, no matter how much red tape you cut, that is still going to be where the battle is fought. Is yeah. is between a neighbor, a developer, and the city council. Uh, yeah, and these fights are going to go on. You asked if, uh, you know, what if I thought the Ford government was doing the right uh, thing. I think the idea of placing emphasis on uh, uh, new housing and uh, uh, making it difficult for municipalities to stop new housing is probably uh, beneficial. But when I hear about... Uh, uh, wanting to uh, loosening things up so that wetlands can be built on and a uh, new 400 highway being uh, built through farmland and changing the green belt and everything. Uh, I think we can have more housing without uh, uh, doing those things. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that's what, that's what local politics is about and provincial politics, because uh, in Ontario, it's to, especially now go close together the provincial <laughs> and local but um uh, you know it's not easy i'm not i wouldn't wouldn't say that every piece of wetland everywhere always has to be preserved mm -hmm. uh, nor would i say that we could never have more highways or even you know there might be a circumstance where the green belt can be uh can be changed it mm -hmm. just gets a bit suspicious to me from my political values when the, all these things seem to be happening at the same time, right? Uh, less wetland, more highways. Uh, no, let's the green belt is a scam. He says. Um, right. So I don't agree with those things. Um, but um, as I uh, have been able to live in a single family house most of my uh, life until now, I live in a condo. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I've made money on my single family houses. My kids, um, one in particular, looks like they're never going to be able to buy uh, buy a house. We've right. got to fix that, and right. that's uh, where I uh, am. Uh, I'm sympathetic to the objectives of the uh, the Ford government. Yeah, I, I think that's where a lot of people are are sympathetic. 
Um, here's the question. Um, I guess, does, from your expertise and your experience, does the rapid pace of change actually mean we're going to get we're going to see change rapidly i guess is the way to put it like this is you know this has been a problem for for 10 20 years housing prices have only gone up in the last 10 20 years it just seems like and i'm sure this is similar in london too also a university city like guelph also seen enrollment go up like the university of guelph you know um all, all we kind of do is grow. All we kind of do is need more housing. Our vacancy rate has always been super low. It just can, the, the province can snap its fingers, but can there be that sort of like reciprocal snap and we can sort of change these things very quickly on the ground here? Uh, no, they're <laughs> not going to change very quickly. And when one of the apparent ironies is that as everybody says, we need more housing, the actual building of new houses seems to be decreasing because of the high interest rates, which is, directed at solving another problem right um uh, so uh, uh and you mentioned the uh, students it's uh as mike moffat at western has recently pointed out uh university bringing in all these uh international students who by definition are going to need housing they're not gonna you can't live in Ch- china and uh, right. uh attend yeah. although we, I, during covid people did that a little bit um anyway uh uh that's uh, an issue. Um, uh, one of my pet issues around this uh, uh, scheme is everybody's. Oh, we have to have we have to do something to lower housing prices. And then, in the GTA, and I suspect in Guelph, and certainly in London, we have these huge development charges um, uh, based on the argument that growth should pay for growth. Well, 60, 70 years ago growth didn't pay for growth everybody paid for for growth and maybe mm. it was a good idea um to have the, uh, new homeowners and uh pay for some of the f- uh infrastructure associated with um uh, development but i think it's gone too far it's a hundred thousand more than a hundred thousand dollars in vaughn now it's from development charges mm. do i think all that money should be taken away from municipalities so that they're even worse in worse shape no they should have up other ways of getting revenue. But I do think if we're trying to solve a housing problem, we don't say, oh, here's an idea. Let's let's add an extra $100,000 to the price of a house so that people um, who, who are uh, living in that house or buying that house uh, are paying uh, for the uh, services that um, uh, the rest of us uh, got without paying for them. Right. Just one more quick anecdote. Yeah, I, I lived in an old part of London um, uh, for a long time. And just when I was selling my house, the municipality decided to totally rebuild uh, the street, the sewers. They dug up everything and put it all in. Did I, as a homeowner in this old part of the city, pay a red cent uh, for all that redevelopment? Nothing. Right. I, I did pay nothing. But people in new areas who had paid tens of thousands of dollars in development charges are also going to pay through their property tax for the rebuilding of the older road. In my view, that's a dumb system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not dumb; it's unfair. Right. That yeah, it's that a lot of it uh, does seem to come on the back, and of course, newer areas are also assessed at higher rates than older areas of a city as well. Uh, 
yeah, if the, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other can of worms. The, uh, both whether the, uh, <laughs> how the assessment system works, yeah. Right. <laughs> but it, it just, I, I guess the thing that, as we're going to try and wrap this up here, yeah. the, the problem is bigger than this idea that local governance and the planning rules uh, and the rules around conservation authorities and whether or not there's a regional government or whether or not a, a city is single tier. These are bigger issues or I guess housing is a bigger issue. It has so there are so many tentacles sticking in it that simply re- rewriting the municipal act isn't a goal unto itself. Um, I certainly agree with that. Um, there are other ways of uh, managing the whole housing uh, system. Um, some of them in Europe and, and that which would be labeled as uh, way too interventionist mm. and uh, socialist, um, um, or we don't, or we could have not so many people expecting to own houses and having more people renting all through their their lives. Um, and but those are the kinds of things maybe we have to think about. Um, but certainly, just rewriting a few rules um, and changing a few municipal structures isn't going to isn't going to change things. It's a much bigger problem than that. This has been like a really busy year for, I mean, any probably any provincial government, at least on, on like municipal governance. There's like Bill 23. There was, uh, you know, rewriting the green belt. Uh, there was a legislation about rent evictions. There's the Bill 97 that is generating some controversy. There's the dissolution of Peel. This is like, a, actually, it's not even a full year of work. It's like nine, yeah. nine or 10 months worth of work. Mm-hmm still three years left in this mandate uh i realize you know none of us are in the prediction business anymore but i mean from 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 your point of view like is is this is this the end like what comes next (laughs) well i mean not everybody shares my interests or our interests but uh i really want to see what's going to happen to these other regional uh, uh governments uh it will be huge if uh if they all get dissolved or most of them get dissolved uh, without certainly without further amalgamations. Um, so that's a big one. And uh, um, I, I will be watching uh, the Greenbelt uh, issue. Uh, I think we've got an integrity commissioner looking into how the Ford government handled uh, uh, the Greenbelt and whether other people knew about what was happening. Um uh, so you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things uh, uh, going on. Uh, again, I'm old enough uh, not to be uh, stupid enough to make predictions about <laughs> things. I just know that there's a lot more uh, that's going to happen in the next little while. You're absolutely right. And I think the political future of the Ford government is going to depend on um, how well they, how much they can actually produce on this uh, housing front. And the right. fact that the mayor of Mississauga might be running uh, against uh, a Ford, uh, that's another big thing to watch for. But we don't have to worry about that for another three years. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good a couple of good points there. Like, what does this look like in three years if we actually get, you know, put a dent in the one point five million houses target that that they've yeah. set? Yeah. Uh, all right. To be continued. Andrew Sankton, thank you so yeah. much for your time today. Thank you. It's been fun talking about it. And once again, that was Andrew Sankton. Bill 112, the Hazel McCallion Act, has passed first reading in the Ontario legislature. 
Now, the legislature is off this week, and then there are just two weeks left in the spring sitting, so I suppose it's possible that it may not get passed before the House rises on June 8th. The government of Ontario has set that date of June 1, 2025 as the first day for an independent Mississauga, Brampton, and Caledon, though. The province has also promised to appoint regional facilitators to assess upper-tier municipalities like Durham, Halton, Niagara, Simcoe, Waterloo, and York, but no further details about that have been announced. As for the details of this podcast, that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, and to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify, and when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com if you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico. You can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. (laughs) 